0: Sports Social with Eddie Easton Jr. We are back. It has been a long break. I mean, we've been gone for, I'd say about a month now. Uh, we just had our season finale at the end of last year. And it, it's, it feels like so long and so much has happened since I've been gone. And when I say since I've been gone, since I've, you know, recorded the show here for Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. And, uh, I hope everyone enjoyed their holidays. Let's let's just get that out of the way. I know, you know, everyone had their time off unless you were in WWE or maybe the NBA or maybe any other professional sports league, but a lot has happened, okay? And this show, I want to take the time to really recap all the things that have happened during the break because, you know, there have been some great things that have happened. We've had Martin Luther King Day, which also passed. Uh, Yeah, a lot of interesting games in the NBA, the NFL. The NFL right now is heading into the Super Bowl. And yes, we have the Patriots again. But we also have the Eagles again. So yes, it's like we're getting a a replay of a past Super Bowl. But you have to remind yourself that this is new. And the the result probably is going to be the same. The Patriots will defeat the Eagles. I'm just calling now. Now we're going to have plenty of time. To break down the whole matchup and everything in future shows but uh let's just let's really dive in for a second the uh, philadelphia eagles you know they lost um their starting quarterback carson Wentz due to injury they also had to rely in that case on Foles, uh, a guy like um a guy that basically was how can i say this i forgot he was on the team nick Foles was banished to the bench Uh, He was supposed to be the the guy in Philadelphia years ago, and that that didn't work out. Then he ended up going to the Rams, and that didn't work out with Fisher on Hard Knocks. That was like a whole thing. Now he's back with the Eagles. He was the backup. He comes in. He's played very well to the point that the guy's probably going to get paid this offseason. I'm not really the biggest fan of Nick Foles, but I do have to give the guy credit. The guy came out there and... And really lit up, um, lit up Minnesota. He he lit up Atlanta. Well, not really lit up Atlanta. Atlanta kind of just let that slip between their fingers. All the pun intended. As a Julio Franco, uh, you know, I, I mean Julio Jones, Julio Franco. My God, would that be crazy if Julio Franco was playing wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons? The great former uh, baseball player that played way late into his career. As you see, I'm rambling because this is the first show back, so I'm just excited, to throw out names. Julio Jones missed probably one of the biggest opportunities to to win the game. Um, the ball literally, I just, I'm still in shock that he didn't catch it. He had a chance. He wanted to make sure his feet were in bounds. This was a divisional uh, playoff game, and he just didn't see the ball to his hands. It was as simple as that. So just like that, the Falcons. Let another situation slip between their hands of becoming champions and, and all this great stuff. They've become that team now, which will always be the hard luck team that always can't win the big one type of team. That has now become the new moniker of the Atlanta Falcons. So the Eagles win that game. And then you got to think about the other divisional series game, which, I, I you know, I'm still in shock that the Vikings even got this far. The Vikings and Saints, the Saints basically had them dead to rights. There was nothing else the Saints the uh, Vikings could do. It was a, it was uh, it was like 10 seconds left in the game. The ball was caught in bounds by uh, Stefan Diggs, but as he made his move, all he needed to do is be touched. Once he's touched, it's over. like a simple tackle brings the guy down. He's in bounds. They have no timeouts. The game is over. Saints win. They get ready to go to the NFC title game but hold up, but wait, it doesn't go down that way. Because Marcus Williams, who uh, is that name is going to forever go down in history, just whiffed on a tackle. The guy just completely whiffed on a tackle, allowing the uh, Philadelphia Eagles to, uh, not the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm sorry, allowing the Minnesota Vikings to win the game. Diggs was able to run in for a touchdown and you got the 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 uh extremely dramatic call from Joe Buck, which you don't get often. It was a it was one of the more insane finishes I think I've ever seen. Just a, a crazy, crazy finish to a game. And a good one, mind you. This wasn't like a, a little cheap game. This was a really good game. So I'm really surprised that that just You know, that whole situation went down. We get Minnesota into the championship game. Minnesota obviously comes up short. Well, not come up short. They got destroyed by Philadelphia in Philadelphia. The Eagles were actually underdogs in both games, even though they were number one seed. To kind of let you know how much it really matters when you say, oh, who's the better team? Who's favored? At the end of the day, it's the playoffs. Everyone's going to play well. Like, everyone's going to play well. That's just the way it works. I just never really pay attention to all that stuff. Like, oh, these guys are five point dogs heading into the game. It's if it's a Super Bowl, anybody could win. I think I think the Giants proved that back in uh Super Bowl forty two. Anything is possible. So it's it's another one of those situations for people. And then you take a uh, look over at the AFC side, and all the craziness there. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Hats off to them. I mean, they really they pushed New England to the limit to the point that when uh, the Patriots scored that last t- go-ahead touchdown, to see Belichick, the relief on his face, and then see him smiling on the sideline after they got that last stop that clinched the game, this guy really wanted it. Like, that cool, you know, angry, like, you know, do-your-job demeanor went right out the window and he was happy to be back into the uh, Super Bowl. So once again, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl for the eighth year. Are you Are you kidding me? The eighth year now and a chance for a sixth title. It's like Brady and, um, you know, they. I heard all the drama. I heard all of him and Belichick are not getting along because of the Garoppolo trade. I hear it all. But at the end of the day, the guys show up and they get their jobs done and they, they win. That's just what it comes down to. I think the Patriots are going to handle business in the Super Bowl, but my opinion could change within two weeks. You know, like, I might get starstruck by the Pro Bowl, you know? Ha, ha. Yeah, that was a joke. But anyway, that's something to um, look forward to. Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, Justin Timberlake is supposed to be the halftime uh, performer, so we don't know what tricks he has, has up his sleeve. Last time he performed, you know, him and Jaden Jackson had the most memorable uh Wardrobe Malfunction, that's when we got Wardrobe Malfunction became a thing in the world, was because of those two. So it should be really interesting to see what happens in regards to uh, the Super Bowl itself, the whole event. It's always a good time in Minnesota. So cold air inside a dome should be fun. I still take uh, the Patriots right now. I'm not going to give you any numbers. I just think New England is the better team. That's that's just, just me going I take away my Giants' bias, now, also you, you look at around the, around the different leagues, the NBA, they're setting up for their All Star break, uh, just the whole outlook on the NBA now. I'm surprised the Knicks are still hanging around. They are not; they're still not a good team. They're losing some games still. Currently on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff bracket, the Brooklyn Nets. They uh surprised me a little bit in regards to staying competitive, and really sticking it out every game. They're losing these games, mind you, but they're they're competitive. They're fighting it out. You know they want to see what they have in these players. Spencer he stepped up huge during the thirty-two game absence of D'Angelo Russell. Russell's back now, but he's working his way back in the in rotation. And then you got guys like Jalil Okafor. You know he just got acquired. And uh he's starting to work his way through, trying to get himself in the right shape to be uh, an impact player on this team. I look at the nets and i I say to myself, like man, this team in a year or two, if you get the right pieces around them like they're gonna they're not gonna make the playoffs this year, so please anybody in Brooklyn listening, kill that thought that's just not gonna happen. That's just not gonna happen at all so let's let's not even entertain the prospect of the Brooklyn Nets going out there and um and making the playoffs this year. That's just not a thing. Let's trade some players to get some assets. I'm a Knicks fan, but I like what the Nets are doing. I, I like what the Knicks are doing as well. If they could just find a way to get Porzingis help. Tim Hardaway Jr., when he's healthy, is a very good player. But they still are a piece or two away. I've heard Kimball Walker out there. I personally love Kimball Walker. But I don't want to give up the house to get this guy. That's the bottom line. He is not the difference between us winning a title this year, next year, and two years from now. Love Kemba Walker, but I'm not giving up the house for him. That's just the way it is, okay? We got to be smart about it, guys. Let's, let's, let's think about this. I like the Knicks GM, Perry, and I think he's going to make a good decision when it comes to that. Speaking of GMs and decisions, I want to jump back to football real quick. This is actually breaking news. Eli Manning will return. Giants. You, so, kill all that speculation, and he is expected to be the starting quarterback. That doesn't mean the Giants are not going to draft the quarterback with the number two pick, but he is expected to come back and start for the New York Football Giants. So, kill all those rumors about him going elsewhere. And I think it's well-deserved. Eli went through a hell of a finish where he got blamed for a lot of things that were beyond his control, but uh having that whole thing for him is really great. So, I'm happy Eli sticking around at the Giants fan. I still think he has enough left in him, and I want to see him and Beckham connect some more. I mean, they have a lot more touchdown passes that we haven't seen yet, so let's see what happens. In baseball, how about those New York Mets? They uh, decided they want to make some moves now. They signed, re-signed Jay Bruce, which, you know, at the price they got him, that about under $50 million for a couple of years. Not too bad. You got a guy who still has some pop, had 100 RBIs. You know, he's already played there. I get it. You know, he, you got him. You traded him just so you could get prospects. You got the prospects, and now you got him back. I mean, that's that's basically all you can ask for if you're a Mets fan. You know, you can still have him as a guy that can protect Cespedes in the lineup because that's what it's all about, him and Conforto right now. Now, they also, this was the one the, that got me, Adrian Gonzalez. They signed him to the minimum, the veteran's minimum. To play first base, I I say this because I don't know how much Adrian Gonzalez has left, and I don't know what the Mets are expecting to get from him. I mean, the guy was left off the Dodgers' playoff roster. You know, the Dodgers made this run to the World Series. He was left off the roster, and he was, for what I heard, after battling injury, he was a healthy scratch. So I'm really curious to see what the Mets are hoping to get. Out of uh this guy, out of Adrian Gonzalez, it should be an interesting experiment. But I know Mets fans are gonna be Mets fans. They're gonna be very pessimistic in the beginning. But when a, when a guy starts hitting a couple of home runs, then all of a sudden it's a Mets town again. So that's the that's usually the way it goes. I, I'm curious to see how they're gonna figure figure it out and just get all the components together to make this team competitive. They just haven't been in a long time. I mean, that's the, really the best way to look at it. Um. Also, just to uh, keep everyone in the loop of what's been going on, this past month, you know, just watching the different things, watching the, uh, you know, the government shut down and, and, you know, still Kaepernick has not been, was never signed the entire season. I still haven't forgotten. I think still uh, a bunch of uh, BS that has never happened. And, you know, we, we look about, we, we talk all the time about being fair and, and honesty in the country, the guy speaks up for those that can't speak for themselves, and he's being punished for it. I just think that's really that just says a lot like put everything to the side, put all like race and you know bigotry all all your your personal thoughts to the side, and just listen to that one that one thought. The guy stands up for people that can't stand up for themselves, and yet he can't get a job that we we hate that. That that's was that's what we turn our backs on. You know, it's more than just the flag at this point. And oh boy, this was a whole season of that for everyone in the NFL and even sports in general. This is really what is what twenty seventeen kind of became. Like it's it's been a, a big fight back and forth. So twenty eighteen, let's hope for new energy, let's hope for positivity. And just, you know, see if we can make things happen, building for better. That's my, that's my whole thing. You got to build for better. You know, that's just what it comes down to. If we could all figure that out, then the world would be a better place. With that being said, we'll let everybody know that today's show is jam-packed. It is the season premiere, season three. We are season three. Can you believe that? Of Sports Social with Eddie St. Jr., and on today's show, as a guest, I have John Finkel. John Finkel is the author of The uh, of the Athlete, which is a biography of former Knicks great Charlie Ward. Now, Charlie Ward was not only a legend for the Knicks in regards to being the starting point guard during those 90s teams and early 2000s, but uh, he was also a star quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner for the Florida State Seminoles back in 1993. Now... He's a very private guy, and, you know, just getting any type of details from about his life, about his family. John Finkel did the research. He did a heck of a job. It's a great read. Got to talk to him about it, so we're going to check that out. As well as, I got to ask a very important question regarding today's Knicks with the man himself, Charlie Ward. Uh, Charlie's a really good guy, and just his reaction, how he was just willing to, to be open and honest about... Frank Millikena and his progress is um, says a lot about Ward, and, and it's still dedication to the Knicks, even though he's a very private uh, person regarding it, and you really won't see him you know, getting into any uh, issues in the stands because he just does not bring that attention to himself. But uh, like I said, he has The Athlete, which is available now and wherever books are sold. But uh, we're going to let John Figgle talk about it and just more about Charlie Ward. And as always... As always, I'm open to your suggestions, your thoughts, anything you want to say about the show. Did you miss me? Did you hate me? Everything. Hit me up at Ed Easton Jr. on Twitter or Instagram. I try to add more on Instagram so anybody that follows me is wondering like why Ed is posting more. I made a promise that I would try to show a little more of what I do. And not everything, because if I did, then it'll just be like, you know, it's annoying. You don't want to be that guy that posts every single day. But um some of my posts are good, some of my posts are a little bit too much, let me know. Um I'm I'm trying to become a little more open and uh just bringing people into what I do on a regular basis. Um it's just some stuff we did with the Harlem Globetrotters and you know, just uh just simple things and journalism and and just covering different events in regards to the world of sports. So thankful for everybody that supports. I'm gonna continue to try to put out great work. And uh, also, you can use my email address. Yes, wherever it's listed, it's ed easton at kirsnetwork.com. Once again, that's ed east at kirsnetwork.com. And uh, it's 2018. This is the first show of 2018. And I'm looking forward to a great one. So, with that being said, we're going to take a break. You'll listen to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. <music> into this week's sounds a lot of different things what happened basically this past month and I just want to try to go through some of the best clips. Um I obviously have to play the the final call with the Stefan Diggs catch against Marcus Williams. It, it was amazing. I, I just got to play that as well as uh, just a, a compilation of of great sound that came out of the last month of uh of sports. I mean, the college football you know national championship game amazing ending to that as well i gotta play that and uh just some great things so tune in uh let me know if one of your moments made it or didn't make it and uh when we come back after that i'm going to get straight into the interview with john finkel and charlie ward about their new book the athlete
1: Tonga bailoa dancing around circling back dropped A disastrous first down play. Devin Bellamy
2: got it back at the 42. Chris, that's a combination of great coverage downfield by Georgia. And just being a young quarterback not put in this situation, Bellamy almost gets him there. See, that's where you'd like to see him throw it away. Nobody's open. you got to give up on the play. Throw it away. Get outside of the pocket and play on second and ten. That's his youth right there.
1: Thank you by Loa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins. <laughs> the crimson tide will not be denied. True freshman to true freshman. Tunga Bailoa to Devonte Smith. Alabama breaks Georgia hearts. Nick Saban back on the summit where he has caught the bear with his sixth national championship. And Bama has won five in nine years.
2: And how fitting Chris and a night when we've talked so much about freshmen It's true freshmen to true freshmen to win the game for Alabama a 41 yarder after the sack delivering
1: the victory in overtime to Alabama to
2: Tom Rinaldi Chris Nick, you just said is that <laughs> answer the questions? <laughs> oh, Was that a good game or what? How do you describe what you just coached through I'll tell you what the resiliency of our team to come back in the second half Tua did a great job gave us a little spark defense picked it up to overcome the adversity of missing the field goal in regular and then go and win the game in overtime it's a great football game you got to give George a lot of credit they really played well in the game but I'm so proud of our players for the way they come back in the game after the first half we played was not very good. What led to the decision and what did you tell Tua? Well, I just thought we had to throw the ball in a game and I thought he could do it better. Um, you know, so, and he did. He did a good job. We made some plays in the passing game. So, hey, it's just a great win, man. I'm so happy for uh, Alabama fans. Great for our players. Uh, unbelievable. After what happened last year, losing with one second to go, the mantra all season was finish. How did you coach your team to do that tonight? What spirit did they show you, Nick? Well, you know, I told them in the beginning. I said, look, I said, all we got to do is execute. We made so many mistakes in the first half. I mean, we were shooting ourselves in the foot left and right. So I said, if we just go have poise to execute like we do all the time, that's who we are. We'll have a chance to get back in this game. And the Pairs believed it and came back and did a great job. Your sixth national championship. You tied Bear Bryant for most in the poll era. Take a second and hear that. What does that mean to you? You know, right now, I'm, I'm just happy for all these folks here.
3: Your Honor, thank you for the opportunity to make this statement here today. And thank you for pr- providing the time and flexibility for all the other brave survivors to make their statement. Each survivor deserves to be heard equally. I didn't think I would be here today. I was scared and nervous. It wasn't until I started watching the impact statements from the other brave survivors that I realized I too needed to be here. Larry, you do realize now that we, this group of women you so heartlessly abused over such a long period of time, are now a force and you are nothing. The tables have turned, Larry. We are here. We have our voices and we are not going anywhere. And now, Larry, it's your turn to listen to me. There is no map that shows you the pathway to healing. Realizing that you are a survivor of sexual abuse is really hard to put into words. I cannot adequately capture the level of disgust I feel when I think about how this happened. Larry, you abused the power and trust I and so many others placed in you, and I am not sure I will ever come to terms with how horribly you manipulated and violated me. You were the USA Gymnastics National Team Doctor, the Michigan and the United States Olympic Team Doctor. You were trusted by so many and took advantage of countless athletes and their families. The effects of your actions are far-reaching. Abuse goes way beyond the moment, often haunting survivors for the rest of their lives, making it difficult to trust and impacting their relationships. It is all the more devastating when such abuse comes at the hand of such a highly regarded doctor, since it leaves survivors questioning the organizations and even the medical profession itself, upon which so many rely. I am here to face you, Larry, so you can see I've regained my strength that I'm no longer a victim, I'm a survivor. I am no longer that little girl you met in Australia where you first began grooming and manipulating. As for your letter yesterday, you are pathetic to think that anyone would have any sympathy for you. You think this is hard for you? Imagine how all of us feel. Imagine how it feels to be an innocent teenager in a foreign country, hearing a knock on the door, and it's you. I don't want you to be there, but I don't have a choice. Treatments with you were mandatory. You took advantage of that. You even told on us if we didn't want to be treated by you, knowing full well the troubles that would cause for us. Lying on my stomach with you on my bed, insisting that your inappropriate touch would help to heal my pain. The reality is you caused me a great deal of physical, mental, and emotional pain. You never healed me. You took advantage of our passions and our dreams. You made me uncomfortable, and I thought you were weird. But I felt guilty because you were a doctor, so I assumed I was the problem for thinking badly of you. I wouldn't allow myself to believe that the problem is you. From the time we were little, we are are taught to trust doctors. You are so sick, I can't even comprehend how angry I feel when I think of you. You lied to me and manipulated me to think that when you treated me, you were closing your eyes because you had been working hard when you were really touching me, an innocent child, to pleasure yourself. Imagine feeling like you have no power and no voice. Well, you know what, Larry? I have both power and voice, and I am only beginning to just use them. All these brave women have power, and we will use our voices to make sure you get what you deserve, a life of suffering spent replaying the words delivered by this powerful army of survivors. I am also here to tell you to your face, Larry, that you have not taken gymnastics away from me. I love this sport, and that love is stronger than the evil that resides in you, in those who enabled you to hurt many people. You already know you're going away to a place where you won't be able to hurt anybody ever again. But I am here to tell you that I will not rest until every last trace of your influence on this sport has been destroyed like the cancer it is. Your abuse started 30 years ago, but that's just the first reported incident we know of. If over these many years just one adult listened, and had the courage and character to act, this tragedy could have been avoided. I and so many others would have never, ever met you. Larry, you should have been locked up a long, long time ago. Fact is, we have no idea how many people you victimized or what was done or not done that allowed you to keep doing it and to get away with it for so long. Over those 30 years when survivors came forward adult after adult, many in positions of authority protected you, telling each survivor it was okay, that you weren't abusing them. In fact, many adults had you convinced the survivors that they were being dramatic or had been mistaken. This is like being violated all over again. How do you sleep at night? You were the decorated by USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic Committee, both of which, which put you on advisory boards and committees to come up with policies that would protect athletes from this kind of abuse. You are the person they had, quote, take the lead of athlete care. You are the person they say, quote, provided the foundation for our medical system. I cringe to think that your influence remains in the policies that are supposed to keep athletes safe. That these organizations have for years claimed, quote, state of the art. To believe in the future of gymnastics is to believe in change. But how are we to believe in change when these organizations aren't even willing to acknowledge the problem? It's easy to put out statements talking about how athlete care is the highest priority. But they've been saying that for years and all the while this nightmare was happening. False assurances from organizations are dangerous, especially when people want so badly to believe them. They make it easier to look away from the problem and enable bad things to continue to happen. And even now, after all that has happened, USA Gymnastics has the nerve to say the very same things it has said all along. Can't you see how disrespectful that is? Can't you see how much that hurts? A few days ago, USA Gymnastics put out a statement attributed to its president and CEO, Carrie Perry. Saying she came to listen to the courageous woman and said, quote, their powerful voices leave an indelible imprint on me and will impact my decision as president and CEO every day. This sounds great, Miss Perry, but at this point, talk is cheap. You left midway through the day and no one has heard from you or the board. Carrie, I have never met you, and I know you weren't around for most of this, but you accepted the position of President and CEO of USA Gymnastics, and I assume by now you are very well aware of the weighty responsibility you've taken on. Unfortunately, you've taken on an organization that I feel is rotting from the inside. And while this may not be what you thought you were getting into, you will be judged by how you deal with it. A word of advice. Continuing to issue statements of empty promises, thinking that will pacify us, will no longer work. Yesterday, USA Gymnastics announced that it was terminating its lease at the ranch, where so many of us were abused. I am glad that it is no longer a national team training site, but USA Gymnastics neglected to mention that they had athletes training there the day they released the statement. USA Gymnastics, where is the honesty, where is the transparency? Why must the manipulation continue? Neither USA Gymnastics nor the USOC have reached out to express sympathy or even offer support. Not even to ask how did this happen, what do you think we can do to help? Why have I and others here probably not heard anything from the leadership at the USOC? Why has the United States Olympic Committee been silent? Why isn't the USOC here right now? Larry was the Olympic doctor and he molested me at the 2012 London Olympic Games. They say now they applaud those who have spoken out, but it's easy to say that now. When the brave women who started speaking out back then, more than a year after the USOC says they knew about Nasser, they were dismissed. At the 2016 Olympic Games, the President of the USOC said that the USOC would not conduct an investigation, and even defended USA Gymnastics as one of the leaders in developing policies to protect athletes. That's the response a courageous woman gets when she speaks out. And when others joined those athletes and began speaking out with more stories of abuse, were they acknowledged? No. It is like being abused all over again. I have represented the United States of America in two Olympics and have done so successfully. And both USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic Committee have been very quick to capitalize and celebrate my success. But did they reach out when I came forward? No. So at this point, talk is worthless to me. We're dealing with real lives in the future of our sport. We need to believe this won't happen again. For this sport to go on, we need to demand real change and we need to be willing to fight for it. It's clear now that if we leave it up to these organizations, history is likely to repeat itself. To know what changes are needed requires us to understand what exactly happened and why it has happened. This is a painful process, but it's the only way to identify all the factors that contributed to this problem and how they can be avoided in the future. This is the only way to learn from these mistakes and make gymnastics a safer sport. If ever there was a need to fully understand a problem, it is this one right now. To accept that problem is limited to just what we know now is irresponsible, delusional even. Each new day seems to bring a new survivor. We have no idea just how much damage you caused, Larry, and we have no idea how deep these problems go. Now is the time to acknowledge that the very person who sits here before us now, who perpetrated the worst epidemic of sexual abuse in the history of sports, who is going to be locked up for a long, long time. This monster was also the architect of policies and procedures that are supposed to protect athletes from sexual abuse. For both USA Gymnastics and the USOC. If we are to believe in change, we must first understand the problem and everything that contributed to it. Now is not the time for false reassurances. We need an independent investigation of exactly what happened, what went wrong, and how it can be avoided for the future. Only then can we know what changes are needed. Only then can we believe such changes are real. Your Honor. I ask you to give Larry the strongest possible sentence which his actions deserve. For by doing so, you will send a message to him and to other abusers that they cannot get away with their horrible crimes. They will be exposed for the evil they are and they will be punished to the maximum extent of the law. Let this this sentence strike fear in anyone who thinks it is okay to hurt another person. Abusers, your time is up. The survivors are here standing tall and we are not going anywhere and please your honor stress the need to investigate how this happened so that we can hold accountable those who empowered and enabled larry nasser so we can repair and once again believe in this wonderful sport my dream is that one day everyone will know what the words me too signify but they will be educated and able to protect themselves from predators like larry so that they will never ever ever have to say the words me too thank you, thank
4: you.
5: I'm going to Filling. See that Sheldon Rankins and they run a twist inside and they want to try to get a shot. But you're going to see what the Saints are doing. They get these guys down here. They're going to try to funnel everything in and... That's the short side of the field, and so they're figuring, to save time, that's going to be where Keenum's going to try to work the ball on the boundary. Keenum steps into it. passes. is To see Marcus Williams here. He has a shot. I'm not sure really what he's thinking, Joe. He comes in. He's got him dialed in. And he just, all he's got to do is make a play. And even if he catches it, you tackle him in bounds. The game is over. And I know Diggs, he's he's catching this. He's expecting somebody to hit him. And he turns around. Heck, nobody's there. And he's off to the races. And it's pandemonium. 61 brilliant yards for Stefan Diggs. And Case Keenum has just taken the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game in a game none of us will soon forget. Well by rule, they gotta kick this, they gotta kick this extra point. I don't know how they're gonna get that done. Case Keenum cannot believe it, nor can anyone else. I just I just simply don't know what Marcus Williams was thinking. For a guy who's had such a great career, I mean, excuse me, a great year here in his rookie season, but what a finish for this Minnesota Vikings team. Incredible. Game manager, journeyman. How about NFC champ, game quarterback now? Case Keenum, incredible. The Vikings didn't quit, the Saints didn't quit. What a game, and Minnesota wins it, and they'll take on the Eagles late next Sunday. Pretty remarkable, and you see they're going high-low with boundary routes.
0: Hey, Charlie, how you doing? Um, I just had to ask, obviously as a former point guard for the Knicks, how do you feel about uh, Frank Nilekina? Do you feel like he's... uh, uh, he's got the goods
1: uh, well he's a rookie right now and so he's getting an opportunity to play which is good and so he'll develop over the course of his time um, I think he has a work ethic he's played well um, over in wherever I don't know where he came from but uh, he's been on a winning team and so I think that would translate well or transfer well to him playing you know, in the NBA so I saw him play a couple times, and, uh, you know, like I said, he's young, but he does have some talent. And, uh, right now he just has to go with a skill level and continue to get better each year.
6: Okay, John, thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with me regarding your new book. Sure. And um, I just want to start off by uh, asking uh, what um, got you involved with working on a biography for Charlie Ward?
4: So I have, uh, you know, I've written a bunch of books in in the past, and uh, one of the recent projects that I worked on a few years ago was starting a website for the College Football Hall of Fame and the National Football Foundation called Football Matters. And through that site, um, I had kind of gotten in touch with a lot of a lot of different uh, College Football Hall of Famers, and one of the projects that had come out of that was trying to do a sort of a series of books on on Hall of Famers. Uh, my my background is, you know, kind of writing in sports. I would written for Yahoo Sports and done a lot of cover stories for Men's Health and Men's Fitness. So uh, when the opportunity kind of came about to work with these guys, um, I wanted to lure to somebody who I had uh, kind of a personal connection to. And so my first book was uh, with Mean Joe Green, and then this book was with Charlie Ward, who I had – first seen play uh, at the kickoff classic at the Meadowlands in 93 back in New Jersey uh, as a quarterback for Florida State. And so the idea to kind of come full circle uh, and actually get to work with him in person was awesome.
6: What was it like working with Charlie? Just like Charlie was great. His life.
4: Yeah, it was awesome because, you know, he, he's you – know, he's, he's, we're close enough in age, but he's older than me, where I remember watching him, and I remember uh, the the first time that I really kind of took a, a draw to him a little bit was when um, it was kind of before, actually, the – the football game that I just mentioned, when I was watching some ACC basketball earlier in that year, and I watched him just kind of take it to Duke and take it to UNC, and he was just such a solid leader on, on the court. And then the, to see him play football and be kind of the best football player in the country for for a year, really kind of almost two, since he was you know people don't remember that he was also Heisman finalist the year before uh, he actually won it. That. I kind of had an expectation that he was kind of a versatile guy and i 'd seen him in interviews, but now he was a you know since leaving the Knicks and leaving coaching Houston, he was a high school football coach and so when I kind of reached out to him about the book, he was interested and you know over the course of writing a book, you start to kind of get to know somebody a little bit and we talked a ton i mean for for the for the course of the real heavy lifting of the research part of the book um we were talking weekly for you know an hour hour and a half at a time and then yeah, you know, we got to know each other really well then. He was really, you know, really cool, really honest, open-minded guy, uh, you know, forthright with his memories and things like that that he was talking about. And then also, you know, his family was fantastic. I, I went to Thomasville and, you know, got to hang out with his parents, and his mom made dinner and met his sister. I met all these people. And everybody was just so awesome. His wife was awesome. So uh, it was really a treat to kind of get to know him and get to know his family.
6: I hear that. And the title of the book, The Athlete, Greatness, Grace, and the Unprecedented Life of Charlie Ward, what made you come up with uh, that title?
4: Yeah, so the title is something occasionally when you're writing a book, you'll have it before kinda of in your head of what you wanted to be, but with Charlie i he had such a varied level of experience, I didn't really have anything in my head to you know, what I wanted to kinda of call it. I thought it would just kinda of come to me in the, you know, process the four or five months of writing the book. And it did, you know, everybody I interviewed, from Jeff Van Gundy to Tony Dungy to Coach Mark Rick to Alan Houston at some point, they would just kind of when they were kind of praising his abilities or even his, you know, his his skills on the court or on the field or whatever it was. At some point, all the way back to his high school coaches would just say, you know, he was just an athlete. He was just when you saw him play whatever the sport, you just looked at him and said he is just an elite athlete. And so it would just kept coming up. I did you know <clears throat> I don't know probably fifty, a hundred interviews for the book or more. And everybody at some point who saw him play, whether he was you know five years old or 25 years old, would just kind of stumble onto the idea. I know it's a simple thing. He's athletic or whatever, but a, he's just a pure athlete, and that's why he was able to do all those things. So that's where I got the athlete part of it. Um, and then the other kind of – the subtitle kind of came along the same way. You know, he, he, he had such an elite you know, playing point guard at the level he did. I mean, nobody else – he played, you know, he played in a, in, a, in a he won a national championship at Florida State. Mm-hmm. He won a Heisman, but he was also in you know the Elite Eight as a point guard for his basketball team. He went to I think three Sweet Sixteens as a point guard, and he was a point guard in the NBA Finals. And there are people mm-hmm. who swear that baseball was his best sport in high school. So that level of greatness uh kinda came to me of just everybody who talked to him would say he was just great, he was just the greatest player out there, also a great you know, great guy and great, great leader, so that's how that kinda worked. You know, Grace he's you know, he's obvious faith is very important to him, his um, you know, beliefs are very important to him and, you know, Grace kinda has double meaning in terms of he was obviously a very graceful athletic athlete, but you know, Grace really fits the kind of lifestyle and the way he wants to lead. And unprecedented is just no one's done anything close to what he's done just then gundy i talked to him a few times for the book and, and he coupled that at the end of each conversation he would just say you know no we're never going to see this again can you imagine a heisen trophy winner having an 11-year nba career playing in the nba finals like it's never going to happen and so the title kind of just kind of came to me naturally throughout the writing of it
6: from just working with charlie and uh putting the book together were you just surprised that he is such a, a low-key guy, considering the fact that he has all these accolades and Heisman Trophy winner, played all these years in the NBA, but it seems like he lived such a private life. Was that a, a bit of a surprise when doing your research?
4: Yeah, definitely a surprise. I, mean, I guess I knew a little bit of it, because when I decided to do the book, he <laughs> wasn't easy to get a hold of, and not in the sense that he personally was difficult, but... He wasn't all over social media. He has a Twitter handle, but he wasn't at, you know, beyond going to some Florida State things and, you know, popping in on a radio interview somewhere here and there. He's not one of these guys who's just front center, you know, putting their brand and their name out there all the time. So that kind of tipped me off a little bit that he was, you know, cool with being in the background and kind of, jumping in Heisman things when they wanted him or showing up at Florida State Games when they wanted him to do that. But he wasn't actively seeking sort of the spotlight. But as I did research, what I realized was he actually does within certain fields, he's very active in the fellowship of Christian athletes. He's very active with a ton of different charities. He speaks at schools, he speaks at uh you know, churches, he speaks at a lot of different events um, and he's very much a motivational speaker, and, and he ho- kind of hosts, uh, co-hosts a radio show. It's just he does what he does. He's very comfortable with who he is. So I'd say, yeah, I was definitely surprised, but I was kind of tipped off that he wasn't the kind of guy who was you know me, me, me. And then once I really started researching him and interviewing the people around him, uh, even in high school and middle school, the funny thing they always said was he didn't talk. Like he was, hmm. he was the greatest player. You know, in fifth grade he was the best player on the eighth grade basketball team. Right, like when he got when he was a freshman he was probably the best athlete in in the, in the county, and he he didn't want any of the spotlight. So he was getting all the press and he was getting all kind of the the hype that would come along with, especially as he got older, even in high school and you know showing what he could do. His you know his last two years in high school in both basketball and football and even baseball. Um, but, you know, the, contra- the 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 contradiction was for the guy who literally you know, had he been maybe a different character and a different kind of person who knows how you handle that level of, you know, stardom, especially, at, you know, basketball, football at a major ACC school at 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, but clearly, you know, I think his parents had a ton to do with that of preparing him uh, for anything. He had a solid foundation of, of character and, and leadership and integrity regardless of what level of stardom he reached. So not surprising that he wasn't, you know, so, was so low key, but once I got to know him it it seemed like, okay, now I understand why he is how he is. The things he draws, you know, his enjoyment from are clearly sports, football, basketball, but also mm-hmm. family being a you know, being a son, being a father, being a friend, that kind of stuff.
6: No, I definitely hear that. And uh John obviously from following his career, um you know, just watching them uh both in uh Florida State and with the Knicks. If you were to, like, this is just me, like, being hypothetical here. If you were to assume, like, if Charlie Ward was uh, coming out in the NFL draft this year, mm-hmm. you feel like the, the the standards would be different than they were back in around 1994, where he would actually be considered more of a, a first-round pick because the way the game has changed.
4: Yeah, I do. I think, you know, so, you know, for a little context, when he, the, the, when he came out, for anyone listening who doesn't know, so he won the Heisman, won the National Championship. Uh, unanimous Heisman, 90% of the votes was by far and away the best player in college football. And he was also an excellent basketball player. And so his whole thought process was, I'm going to enter both drafts and see what happens. And so there were NFL teams that were very interested in him, um, but he would not commit to them. And so he He got calls. Uh, He was projected, I think, even, you know, Mel Kuiper probably projected him, I think, early third round, fourth round. But there were coaches, I talked to coach, you know, Tony Dungy, and I did research and talked to some other uh, coaches who were around that time in in the NFL. And had he committed 100% to being in the NFL, who knows? Because he had excellent pro days. Um, So, you know, maybe he would have been a second rounder. I don't know if he would have first back then. Um, But nowadays, Especially, honestly, with the way, you know, because he reminds me so much of, uh, or Deshaun Watson, I guess, reminds me so much of him. You know, mm-hmm. the, the absolute leadership and command of a team, clutch, unfa- you know, completely unfazed by pressure. Uh, he was accurate. He was just as accurate as Deshaun. He was as good as athlete. I, I, I covered him last year, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, for the NFF, and. Mm-hmm. I just was you know, blown away by how how great of a young kid he was, and also how great of a quarterback he was. I just I couldn't I thought he should have been number one overall last year. I believed he was going to have the success he had, and I would compare those two very very well. Two strong you know ACC programs leaders. Charlie played you know in, in the Orange Bowl against the Saints, Nebraska the year before he won the national championship and won. He had massive comebacks against you know some of the bigger teams out there. So I would say, yeah. I mean, I think he'd go around where Deshaun went. Maybe middle. You know, I think middle, first round, second round. Um, but that's where I'd project him, and that's just me. You know, I know. You know, <laughs> I put Baker, probably, Baker Mayfield from this year probably first rounder also. But I just, right. I just take, I personally take into account having covered all these sports, leadership, character, integrity, ability to you know be unfazed in pressure. And then if you have the athletic ability too, and you're accurate, and you're smart, and Charlie was, you know, IQ off the charts for football and basketball, I would say he'd probably be a first rounder nowadays. Yeah.
6: Okay, and John, uh, last question. Now I believe you guys are going to be doing um, some uh, some signings in New York. Yeah. Uh, what do you expect the uh, in terms of like the fan support and in, in people in New York because you're still a, a beloved, um, you know, Knicks legend.
4: He has a bunch of other stuff probably later in the year at some other New York events, some other Knicks things, and then a lot of uh, stuff down in Tallahassee, of course, and other, other bookstores, and I'll be doing a lot of stuff on my own as well. Uh, we're looking forward to you know the, the response has been really great you know especially I can only kind of you know I know the Knicks Nick, have put stuff out there on Facebook and Twitter and things but I can kind of only go by the responses I've gotten from the book itself whether people have hit me up on Twitter you know or, or on Instagram I've, I do a lot of posts on, on write, the writing of the book and the book itself and he was the you know he was in, in those years the years they went to the, the finals and then you know he played there for such a long time but in the Latrell Sprewell Allen Houston you know those years the end of the, kind of the end of the Patrick Ewing era he was the defensive guy i mean he you know he didn't have any you know sort of you know superstar numbers he wasn't an all-star but he kind of set the tempo van gundy always called him sort of his emotional anchor for the team um and so i think new york fans were you know as, They've obviously been going through a rough patch in terms of making the playoffs and having success there. But uh, they recognize that leadership and they recognize that what he did for them back then, uh, he was kind of the glue, allowed Chris Childs to come off the bench. And uh, I think we're expecting a, a really great turnout. I've been getting a ton of people writing me just kind of talking about those glory days of the Knicks. And they grew up as – because I grew up in New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. I was in high school in New Jersey when Charlie was playing during a lot of those years. And so, you know, a lot of – you know he, he was sort of the the – the the favorite sort of the offbeat favorite you know everybody had their Ewing jerseys or maybe Allen Houston jerseys but um, mm-hmm. the kind of true blue diehards had Charlie Ward jerseys and and he uh, he'll get a great he'll get a great reception I'm sure
6: and um, you know like I said I hope everything does well with the book are uh, there any any last links or you want people to check out
4: yeah, the best thing to check out uh is I kinda I've kinda been the hub of all of all the media and all the things we're doing, so I would just you know, if you're on Twitter at John underscore Finkel, uh same with Instagram, I do a lot of our posts, Charlie's not on Instagram. Um, and then my site, JohnFinkel.com, kinda has all the latest of where we're gonna be and what we're doing. But Twitter's probably the best. Charlie's Twitter is I believe at C Ward two one one seven. Uh if you want to follow him on there he's not as active, but he's starting to get, you know, starting to catch a little more, a little more of the wave as the publicity's coming through. Um, but yeah, we're doing a lot of shows like this. I really can't thank you enough for, for having us on. And, and especially the the kind of diehard NBA sites uh, and NBA fans have really appreciated kind of dipping back into the, into the career Charlie works. It was so unique. So I would check those places out and, and please get the book. I mean, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the bookstores, um, you know, download it, love it, write a review, let us know how much you like about it. I'm, wide open, uh, you know, fielding questions on there, on Goodreads or wherever. So we're just really enjoying the reception that we're getting from it. And uh, we hope people like it.
6: Definitely. John, thank you very much for taking the time. And um, we're looking forward to reading the book. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man. Take care.
0: I want to take the time to thank everyone for tuning in. I also want to thank John Finkel and Charlie Ward for talking about their new book, The Athlete, which is available wherever books are sold. Uh, just check out the links. Go- Google it, The Athlete. Um, I picked it up in Barnes & Noble, so it's definitely there. Great read. As you saw, John was just so detailed when it comes to Charlie and his whole career. And a lot of people don't realize how great this man really was. And, and I'm happy that this there's a, a, an outlet to uh, show what he's about. And his biography is a great read. So definitely pick that up. I'm co-signing that as, as much as I can. Um, as always, hit me up. Let me know what you think of the show at Ed Easton Jr. on Twitter and Instagram. I will respond to you, whether it's negative or positive. I mean, that's what we want. We want the feedback. And uh, as always, if you have any suggestions for people that you want to hear on the show, people that you think I should talk to, just hit me up there or also send me an email which is uh, Ed Easton at KIRSNetwork.com. Once again, Ed Easton at KIRSNetwork.com. Any suggestions you feel like I should have on the show? I'll definitely try to make it happen. Going to be some more interesting guests like we had today. And just try to build from there because that's what this show is all about. We are in season three right now, 2018. Let's make things happen. You've been listening to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio.